This podcast, as you may know, is supported by Patreon, which means that we don't have to have any adverts and that you lovely listeners are the people that allow this podcast to keep going. It's a gorgeous system which benefits everyone, which means that the people with more money pay to listen to the work that they love, which means that the people with less money can listen to our work for free. If you like our work, both on stage and on podcast, then please consider supporting us. You can find us on patreon.com forward slash life of buy. We didn't plan to say that, but it's true. Not a long time no here. Long time no. You, some of you maybe have never seen us before. Oh, if, if that's true that you haven't listened to this podcast before, I would highly suggest that you don't start this episode. Because, <laughs> yeah, go back. Yeah, please go back to another to a previous episode, maybe even in series one in the annals of history, because this is going to be chaos. A, um, an unusual one for sure. I think it's because we, we so we haven't made an episode for a while. Um, we promised one last month. We promised. This we month. promised one uh, when we were in Edinburgh for the for the listener who it has forgotten. T- technically, just August. It's technically, just so August. we're just in. But we did say we were going to do one about the fringe at the fringe, and we haven't done yeah. that. That was wildly so, optimistic. So we have been to update you or remind you. We've been at the fringe, the Edinburgh Festival fringe for a month. Now, for listeners who don't know what that is, uh, the Edinburgh yes. Fringe Festival is a like a performing arts festival yeah i guess that happens guess. every year when there isn't a pandemic <laughs> um in edinburgh it's like thousands and thousands of shows thousands. ranging from like huge circus. comedy acts stand to up. circus stand-up clowning strange avant-garde theater like drag dance shows at like 1 a.m shows, shows at, 10, at like 3 10 a.m as like well. it's an absolute all day carnival <laughs> of theatre and shows. It's a carnival, and that brings us to our theme for this month. Well, we're basically going to catch you up on how we are, how it went, but we also want to talk about whether the Fringe is a kind of queer festival, whether festivals themselves are inherently queer. Yeah, we're going to talk about our own experience of the festival mm-hmm. and sort of evaluate it in terms of like. Yeah, radical hedonism versus capitalist mm. machine. Because it encapsulates both. Because it's a place of extremes. It's important to say that when the Edinburgh Fringe was first founded, it was as an alternative to the establishment Edinburgh International Festival. And I think that's helpful to remember that like yeah. a group of theatre makers literally rocked up uninvited in like 1947. So it had radical beginnings. Yeah, it had like a radical beginning. And that's why you get like places being used as theatres or performance spaces that aren't usually performance spaces, like churches or like... An office room. An office room or a university lecture hall or like a shipping container. So it has like this makeshift vibe, which... Yeah. So the beginnings were quite cool and radical. They were definitely radical, yeah. We will see where it has ended up. See, now it's unusual to go and see the stuff that's actually part of the International Festival because it's much more expensive, which is saying something, than the fringe stuff. There you go. But we'll come on to that a bit more later. Final thing in this uh, intro, excuse me, is that we met a couple of listeners to the podcast. In Edinburgh. In Edinburgh, that was You guys came to see our show, that was really nice. And it was really nice to say hello and like, whoo. Everyone who listens is really cool. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, lovely. Pretty cool. You know, we also gained some patrons and we lost some patrons. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense, you we know? We haven't been around. We haven't been around, but I'm really happy to say that 
the the losses we suffered were made up in the gains that we made. <laughs> so like so an, we're at like a net zero. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like zero growth. Entirely neutral. Static. So in terms of a business model, it's going really badly. But in terms of vibes, we're having a great time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Now, we want to begin this episode with a little story time mm. because something happened that we think perfectly encapsulates what we want to say with this episode. And it begins at about 3am <laughs> in the kind of outdoor bar area of one of the Edinburgh venues. The Gilded Balloon. The Gilded Balloon. Now, in the Gilded Balloon, it's it's open really late. So if you like finish drinking at one of the other places, you kind of make your way there. And an amazing thing happened. Outside the Gilded Balloon, there are sort of two big gazebos. I think we should start with how we got there. Okay. I guess like you and I had already been, I just think it's important to say that we had no intention of ending up at the Gilded Balloon that evening. And in fact, I would say basically nobody does. It is the the sort of cesspit of miscreants who are still up at that hour. (laughs) On like a Wednesday? On like a Wednesday. No, I think it was maybe a weekend, but like we had no intention and we just met with an old friend. And we were all having too good a time to go home. And we that is no why option. you end up at the Gilded Balloon. Now, when we entered, it we were already struck, right, by how different how it, in vibe it was to the venue that we were coming from. Like violently heteronormative. Like it looked like a wedding. And I don't have that much reference for straight <laughs> culture. So I think everything looks like a wedding. But it did look like a wedding. Yeah, it did. It did. It was like blokes, and blokes up for the weekend, yeah. having pints with the lads. A guy from my old school was there who I didn't think was going to be there. Oh, yeah. Um he he looked exactly the same as he did. <laughs> <laughs> Which I actually think is not a good thing necessarily. As in, I'm glad I look different to how I was when I was 17. Yeah. Anyway, we don't have to go there right now. We arrived. We arrived. And then what happened, Al? Aggressive heterosexual vibes. Now, rain happened. Massive rain. Massive The kind of rain where everyone suddenly looks to see what's happened because there's like a sound. It's an event. A sudden sound. Yeah. And crucially, as I began saying earlier, there are two tents outside Gilded Balloon and they almost overlap, but not quite. (laughs) And so in the gap between these two tents... A deluge was formed, a waterfall of all this rain travelling down from the top of both tents into this gap, which was falling down into the drinking area. And what happened next was like a scene from a David Attenborough documentary. It was wild. Carnage. There was already this sort of, obviously, frenzied, fervent sort of sexual energy in the air, I would say. You'd already noticed some guy dancing. Yeah, I I had like, yeah. You'd already eyed up... The, the main someone character. the main character someone who would later be the main character he'd yeah. been introduced because he was doing something good with his hips he was doing some like some quite good sexy dancing As salsa woman. style and for a heterosexual man i thought wow this guy can move and she was having none of it and i went up to him and i was like man you can really move and you you know You've got this. And this, that was, sorry, that was a prelude to the rain, right? That was a prelude to the rain. Right, so that's the little prelude to the rain. Then the rain falls. The rain starts falling. It starts gushing between these two bits of tent. People start to move towards towards the rain. And before, like, we've really understood what's happening, there's this sort of screaming happening. And we turn around to discover that the men... Topless. Men have taken their tops off and they're dancing in the rain. And they're dancing sort of circle, in this stream. Circle of men, circle of straight cis men sort of chanting at each other. Yeah. While they're sort of doing this dancing in a this sexy dancing, way sort of, under the sort rain, Sort of like right? shoulders back and sort of like shimmying into the sky like, so that the rain could fall off their It was impromptu cabaret is yeah, what it, it was. was. The best show I saw what at Edinburgh Fringe What is that show with a scene where you pull the cable and you get covered in um, water? What is that? Uh, flash dance? Oh, That's yeah. flash dance. Oh, well. It was like flash dance, guys. Anyway, I spy my man near us the main and i character. say mate this is your chance you need to go over there and dance in what i have water. to add to this actually yeah. is that l was wearing their nike 
princess dress yeah. and Elle's persona in this Nike princess I'm dress it's completely completely changes yeah 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 I you're have so really, much power you're in really that dress. out you're really out there you know you were manipulating these people I could do anything I was seeing it all ahead of me I think I was standing on a picnic table so I could literally we were, see yeah. it from a bird's eye we view. all got up onto the table yeah. to watch better what was happening everyone, us and our yeah. friend and then I, so I said man this is your chance you go over at first he was playing cool he's like no I can't do that I can't do that and then reader he did it he went over he shimmied around and on the other side of the tent there was that woman from earlier and he like he made her come towards him just with the power of his sexy dance moves in the rain (laughs) anyway it was he was dashing he was dashing she was less dashing i'd say honestly Anyway, so it was carnal. Everyone then is suddenly started, aware, everyone's aware of the sexual aspect of this thing, and everyone's going. Whoa. So, she, starts, so she's joined him under the rain. Yeah, by this she's point. joined him under the rain. They're dancing in the rain. Suddenly, it's just the two of them. I We're cannot stress the, enough yeah. the probability of this woman being an accountant in her normal life. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably the best thing that's ever happened. To like her. she did not. She loved it. She looked quite straight laced. I think it's okay it. to say. I think you know. And they were like almost going in for the kiss and then moving away. And people started people chanting, going, kiss, 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 which in some ways is very coercive, but in other ways, exactly the right thing to be doing. But it felt like gladiators yeah. or something. And in cru- crucially, what, how this story ends is that at some point, one of the security people must have decided, okay, they're having too much fun here. <laughs> and, and they brought out this tiny white picket fence and put it sort of sort of arbitrarily round <laughs> round the water in this diamond the water's still falling and they just think okay and and what does the british public do when it sees security that? man with a picket fence obviously one by one different men jumped into the picket fence to the chorus of because also i can't stress enough that this picket fence it's was tiny. like knee high knee high and it was to pre- it was to protect a small platform that people had been jumping onto, but the picket fence was so not small. that much taller than the platform, so it was like truly yeah. the most um, symbolic fence I've ever yeah. seen. And the, the most just amazing because each time they dragged one of the men off the platform, another one when the security's back would, was turned would jump back on, and so you had that chorus of ooh. Ad infinitum. It was so powerful. It was, it was so, so powerful. powerful. And also, what we were witnessing was like such a sort of demonstration of British culture because mm. the white picket fence is a sort of symbol of well, small yeah. C and large C conservatism. Yes. And it was like yes, Mary, yes. being <laughs> being encased around this like exhibition of carnal lust. Yes, and like it was this warring aspect of our culture, which is. British culture, mm, our culture. B- bowing you know. to... Bowing to authority or like but, the neatness of the British field, mm. pastoral landscape versus our drinking problem. <laughs> <laughs> and toxic masculinity. <laughs> it had everything. It said so much with no words. It was wild. And so me and Elle and our friend yeah. were just beside ourselves i've it's never the been best thing i've ever so seen. speechless we were sort of turning we couldn't believe it it felt like it felt like we shouldn't have been there it was the we best. were the outsiders Absolutely, as well like yeah. we were the weirdos in this space yeah and it was like i don't know maybe it's how a hen party feels to going to a queer be. club Gosh. we're just like basically tourists yeah it felt like that and we were just like eyes agog Witnessing. Just, i was like does this happen every friday be at one yeah <laughs> Is this normal? Yeah. Like, do they do this? Because cause if it is, I'm in. Anyway, it was the best theatre any of us saw during the entire yeah, festival. Honestly. And there was a point at which I turned to our friend Sam and I just said, this is Roman. <laughs> it was Roman. What we're witnessing feels distinctly Roman. <laughs> <laughs> and that segues us into our sort of like, blind boy would call it a hot take i would say this is probably a lukewarm take (laughs) on um our sort of queer history angle on the edinburgh festival fringe otherwise known as the edinburgh fringe (laughs) festival (laughs) 
I just accepted that was what it was called. So our Life of Bi Take mm. on the Edinburgh Fringe Festival is going to use this sort of segue from like the Roman times <laughs> um, because obviously it's a festival of like theatre and performance art and I it made me think of um, the Bacchae or like Bacchanalia. Mm-hmm. So like um, Bacchus in... Is it Roman? Bacchus is uh, Greek and Dionysus is Roman. Right, yeah. But they're the same, they're the same, same dude. dude. Well, not necessarily not, dude. Not necessarily a dude. Same dude person. in a gender neutral way. But it's the god of traditionally like theatre and wine. And what a combo. Leads these um, in the play by Euripides, the Bacchae. The women are driven mad by Dionysus and run away from their homes and escape to the mountains to engage in ecstatic religious orgies. Um, so the god is associated with hedonism, basically. Mm. Hedonism, performance, alcohol, letting go, sexual subversion. And I would like to draw a line or potentially draw a line or sort of question whether you can draw a line between like a Bacchic rite mm-hmm. and the Edinburgh Fringe festival (laughs) i wonder how many people have done that before i think it's probably quite common you reckon there's an argument for that also being there's a there's a latent queerness or actually a fairly explicit queerness in descriptions of dionysus Mm -hmm. and bacchus um in the sense that they are dionysus in that same play by euripides the bacchae is described as soft even effeminate in appearance um and indeed the god is often depicted as androgynous Without facial hair. Yeah. Boyish, youthful. And the play, as lots of plays do, features men being dressed as women, etc., etc. And also, like, Dionysus. Dionysus? Dionysus. Never been my strong point. Whatever you want, I'd say. Yeah. Um, they were also kind of born from queerness, because the story goes that, that their mother died in a fire while they were, like, before they were born. And in order for Dionysus to be born, Zeus, their dad, um, put the fetus in his thigh and then carried Dionysus to term in his thigh and then birthed him from his own thigh. So, like, you're already... You're born from, like, this, this, like, ambiguously gendered place. Two mothers. Yeah, and had two mothers. And also, Dionysus was first assigned male at birth, but then lived as a girl until reaching adulthood, and then ended up, like, becoming this androgynous figure. Um, so, yeah, I don't know that much about Greek and Roman mythology, but... I, just, I like I like this person. I have always loved this myth just because it represents well, it represents everything I love about the Edinburgh Festival. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, um, in what way? Well, like a Bacchic rite is um, often represented as carefree as and uninhibited. So, like you might mm. see it on like a vase, <laughs> <laughs> like as an image. Yeah, like you. It's like lots of women dancing naked Mm -hmm. that's the that's the energy (laughs) that's your experience Um, of edinburgh that's my experience (laughs) (laughs) um and there's a quote that they was just they were described as bacchic rights were described as debauched and debauchers frenzied devotees bereft of their senses by lack of sleep by drink (laughs) by the hubbub and the shouting that goes on through the night. And I think that is Edinburgh. That is Edinburgh. Like, like de- deprived of sleep? Yeah, debauched, deprived of s- Drinking sleep, too much? fueled by drink. The Bacchanal was outlawed in Rome in 186 BC for being immoral and subversive um, because they were such the sort of ecstatic rites. You'd get so drunk and you'd dance. Mm-hmm. They would obviously lead to subversive and transgressive acts, i.e. like... Men sleeping with men, mm. women sleeping with women, people, you know, dressing mm. as whoever they want to dress. But also, like, ripping people apart, right? That's oh, part yeah. of it. I mean, that, that's obviously, that's not what the Edinburgh Fringe is about. But, like, I think all the women tore someone apart in the, like, original That sounds about right. Myth. That sounds about right. Which is very Edinburgh Fringe. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, this article I found, mm. it was sort of like jackpot because you know when you have a sort of like what 
you think might be like a dumb thought and then you discover that an academic's actually done loads of research on exploring yeah. <laughs> exactly the connection that you thought might be yeah. might be a goer well joseph nopal basically is, dedicates this article and his dissertation their dissertation to saying that you could draw a link between dionysus or bacchic rites and queer parties and we're going to extend that by making that connection to the edinburgh fringe wow. to an extent and i would say that that gilded balloon story mm. demonstrates a bit of what we're saying mm. which is that there is a, just a frenzied a slightly more frenzied nature to being there mm-hmm. and the reason i'm interested, interested in it as well is like i think well, I feel invigorated in many ways by the Edinburgh Fringe this year, despite the fact that I got less sleep than usual, had loads of adrenaline, drank more than usual. Mm-hmm. But what I mean is, like, hedonism is normally viewed as something that's draining. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I quite like about this idea of the Bacchic right is that there is a cleansing, there's a cleansing Aspect, nature yeah. to complete letting go. Yeah, because you're and complete like, debauchery. You're living completely outside your normal day-to-day life so Mm. you're like totally released from all normal expectations of what your day could look like yeah um that's definitely the dream right yeah that's the dream side of edinburgh there's like a much harsher reality well i think just also that's why that's why people love festivals of all kinds right like not just month-long ones which which do test your stamina that's why people go to festival or latitude <laughs> or indeed glastonbury or Gla- oh yeah yeah that's the big one <laughs> i was like there's this one big one i can't remember the name <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah and i'm i'm a proponent of like sometimes when you're exhausted what you actually need to do is go and dance the mm. night away and that's like the opposite of what you'd think because you're released but you need actually just need to shake your body around and that's what gives you more energy because yeah. like otherwise normal life can be crushing so what did that look like for us? Well, Updates I, from the void? We've been going for, like, many years. Yeah. Um, so there's an element of return. I think that's also why I think of it as a ritual. And when I'm in Edinburgh, I'm not only there with my present self, but I'm also aware of various other mm. parts of me that have been to the fringe before. Yes. And it has always been one of the most promiscuous months of my life, if not the most promiscuous. And for me. Yes. And for you as well. Yes, sometimes I'll be walking down a street in Edinburgh, in Edinburgh and be like, I really strongly feel like I know what the inside of that flat looks like. Oh, that's why I know what the inside <laughs> of that flat looks like. Or you'll like walk past a street corner and be like, something sordid, something sordid happened here. <laughs> and you're like visited by all these ghosts. Not in an unpleasant way. No, that's why I say it's, I would say it's truly pleasant. Yeah. Actually. And I think also- partly worried about going because of that though. Yes, speak more on this. Because because when you have something that recurs over many years, it's like the perfect it's it's because of the nature of time, it's like the perfect place to reflect on on those past versions. And I think I was worried by being hemmed in by like monogamy or like because it's always been such a like you said, promiscuous place, but also for me, such a bisexual place. Mm. Like I've, I probably had like one of the most bisexually fulfilling months of my life in Edinburgh in like 2018 in terms of like dating multiple genders Mm -hmm. and just like going for it. And I think part of me was like worried about revisiting that place much older and with like a different experience of life. But actually the the ritual the release ritual really helped yeah i think also for me there was just like pure excitement because i've had i would say i've had a more hermit like uh year due to like social anxiety and like a breakup mm. of the rest of it so i was feeling withdrawn and really socially anxious mm-hmm. and a lot of those precious people that i know here were in edinburgh and being there and doing a show and being generally more front-footed because of performing every day, I feel like that allowed me to connect with people. I feel like I'm a more open person there mm. because there are so many people to meet and you know that you're going to be there for the whole month. And mm. so there's like an energy that you expend in connecting with people mm. that you wouldn't necessarily or that I wouldn't necessarily do in London 
because I may not ever see that person again. Whereas in Edinburgh, if you, I mean, that this is probably speaks to a bad trait in me, like to to think of social connection in terms of like worth because of how when you might see them again. But I guess there's like, so you could have a nice conversation with someone in a bar in London and then you'd never see that person again, ever. Mm. Whereas in Edinburgh, because there's the month, because you're all there, you're all doing the same thing. Even the people at the bar, they are working regularly. Yeah. Yeah. You will, you will see that person again. So like one Mm. tiny connection turns into three or four or five tiny connections, Mm. which turns into basically like a sort of like quasi friendship or friendship adjacent or just like really warm acquaintance well that's why i think that this year was so special for us because we haven't been there in a few years and really the 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 difference here was like the sense of queer community up there Mm. like the venue that we were performing at summer hall had the most amazing artists doing incredible shows and and you came out of your show afterwards and the courtyard was just like brimming with the most like inspiring people who you just want to sit and like chat with and drink with and for me that's why edinburgh felt it felt really queer to me this year because like we had this community of like queer artists who we were just like continuously with all the time and it's so enriching for that to just be like I think I almost started to take that for granted there, mm. that you'd be surrounded by these people who are similar to you and who care about the same things that you do. And, yeah, that's not normal in day-to-day no. life. It's not normal. It's it's like being in, like, the fucking Bacchanalian woods yeah. with, all your, with, all, with all your homies. <laughs> and the other fun thing, I guess, is the sort of tipping of your circadian rhythm towards the night because, mm, yeah. like, I'm normally a very, like... 7am kind of person you really are, yeah. and doing a show every day at 9.40pm that just like slowly you just like curl into a later rhythm mm-hmm. and eventually you got the schedule of a teenage boy when you're like waking yeah. up at like 11am going, going to bed, to bed like at 3, three or, four. or 4 yeah. and that that opens up the night in a way that it's really hard to have in London if you're working money jobs yeah. like you're too, yeah. like I'm often too exhausted to dance like I think I felt that as well. There's yeah. this like energy and adrenaline that I had at 10 p.m. Yeah. that it's had become so deeply unusual when I was doing all my money jobs here. Like, which informs the decision at 2 a.m. to go to the Gilded Balloon course. and watch all those men dance in that course because you've got nothing to do the next morning. <laughs> like that's an amazing thing. No responsibility and, outside that one hour every yeah. day. I think that's also why there's there's this, there's such such a tension in this because like I think running up to rehearsals this year whatever I felt so hemmed in by all the time I had to spend Mm. making money Mm. that so much of my time was just about money jobs and so much of my energy was going in directions that I just didn't want it to go in yeah that I don't count as like like worth like they're not artistic Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and Edinburgh Fringe is still fucking capitalist which we can but talk about. There was a, a greater freedom for mm. me personally in that there's one job to do a day. It takes an hour. <laughs> you can, it's really exhausting, but it takes an hour. Mm. And the rest of the day is actually yours to sort of like explore, look after yourself, play, mm. swim in the sea, in our case, see other people's shows, drink, dance. Like I felt an abundance of time mm. when I think living in London, if you're a, like, an artist of our age feels like the opposite. There is so little time. It feels like you have so little time to make work. You have so little time to rest. I felt that anyway. Mm. So there was this like big, this big like opening up that allows you to be more open to experience as well, which is just so contradictory because I'm basically describing like tasting freedom, tasting a greater sense of freedom within the context of actually a very capitalist thing. Which we'll come to, but let's yeah we can conclude this section by saying that's what edinburgh was for us it was like abundance hedonism joy the nature of all these things is that there's always going to be another side to it so we had the most like amazing fulfilling month but we have to acknowledge that like the system itself 
and the way that the fringe is run mm-hmm. doesn't really harness like yeah um creativity or like hold queer artists or like any marginalized voice actually and again i would say it's similar to a back it right in that some people are having a transformative ecstatic experience and other people are being ripped apart yeah like the the difference in experience within this one festival is absolutely insane uh-huh and in order to get yourself in a position to have a hedonistic fun time you have to work your ass off to be there all the artists there are like losing money just by being there mm-hmm. basically no one makes a profit and like it can be a really alienating place it's incredibly white it's yeah. incredibly middle class it's um, stratified by privilege yeah <clears throat> and i think it's really important to talk about that and even like we're talking about the experience of being there as queer artists even that this year has been um you know the sanctity of 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 the city like as a safe space for queer artists has also been um jeopardized troubled yeah yeah we're just reading um the guardian article called was it worth it all about the edinburgh fringe written by rachel healy and it was through reading that that we found out that there was loads of anti-LGBTQ plus flyers handed out on the streets at the Fringe. And performers were reporting abuse, um, like homophobic and transphobic slurs were being shouted at some performers. Mm. Um, Pac said, I've been working at the Fringe for 17 years and this year feels like a real step back for the safety of queer people. As a visibly trans person, this year I've had slurs directed at me on the street every single day. Fuck's sake. Which was, like, crazy to find out about that. Also, yeah, crazy to find out about it through an article rather than, like... You know, we didn't hear about that. Yeah, not a, on the ne- street. Truly not a word. Yeah, and it made us reflect on the kind of privilege we have. Basically, it's, like, a reminder that... You know, some people go to the fringe and have a shit time on like every level, mm-hmm. like financially, the show isn't going well or like you don't feel supported by people. You don't have a community of people looking out for you and, you know, things are shouted at you on the street. Like the person next to you could so easily be having a day like that. And we have had a we had a really like blessed and cushy blessed, time. Yeah, time up there. And privilege is a lot to do with that. All of this is to say that you, if you're listening to this and you happen to have a salaried job, then, and you enjoy queer or fringe or independent theatre or cabaret, mm. then you should support those artists as much as you possibly can because yeah. they will be prostrating themselves in order to put on the shows for you and you can guarantee they're not making money and that would that seems impossible if you're at a sellout gig but it's completely the case like people will just be just be breaking even even if they sell out yeah the whole thing and it's getting harder and harder so that's our call to arms i guess i guess that's our call call to arms. arms yeah so is the Edinburgh Fringe a queer Bacchic festival or is it a capitalist machine? It's kind of both. It's kind of both. And that is, I would honestly say, reflected in the psychogeography of the place. Yes, we love, <laughs> we love the psychogeography of Edinburgh. Like, if you don't know it, it like, it is, it has like, it's like a multi-story city because like these winding streets that plunge down into the depths of like Cowgate or, and then there's like, Arthur's Seat, which is this like big hill outside of it, that's like, or the, the castle that cliffs. sits like on top of a mountain. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's so it, it it's it's a it's as a the crow city flies, it's quite small. Valleys, yeah, right. As the crow flies, it's quite small, but it's almost as like as deep and as high as it is wide. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's full of ups and extremes downs in every way. So we also wanted to use this episode. In fact, this was our initial idea. It's <laughs> taken us 40, 40 minutes. minutes to get there. Um, <laughs> to sort of chat about how... So before we went to Edinburgh Fringe, we were doing a series on... What was the... What were we saying? It's uh, about sort of like delving into... It was like queerness. Yeah. Uh, oh queer gosh. experiences that we haven't 
experienced or could not experience for ourselves yeah and so we were sort of challenging ourselves to look outside of ourselves at for instance asexuality or being a queer jew being a queer christian and what these experiences would be like and we wanted to use this episode to reflect a bit on as is always helpful for us how our relationships to our own sexuality our gender our relationships have changed this year right yeah this year this year geez louise so and sort of and where possible we'll link it back to sort of conversations we've had on this podcast because a lot of the changes are from there right yeah well guys i'm really happy to report that i finally found out who i am (laughs) Um, (laughs) no when we spoke to um kate who uh was the pastor in our uh christianity episode hearing them talk about uh the concept of being demigender was like a fucking eye-opening moment for me um because i've never heard anyone describe uh in so few words exactly how i felt about my gender and basically how kate describes it is that like you have one hand on the monkey bar that is like i'm a woman and then your other hand is like it kind of could go anywhere um so she they are my pronouns and i really like using both of them actually i really like swapping between the two so you know lots when i first started using she they mary was using they a lot for me and that was really really affirming but i really like the swapping yeah yeah, i really like the swapping to and fro um i feel yeah i feel like really comfortable in in having like one hand on womanhood and then the other hand just sort of like flopping around talk a bit about because we had a great conversation on the bus yes on like day two of arriving at the fringe yeah where i don't do you mind me saying this yeah no go for it Elle was like uh it's just like is there any point in me wearing makeup because like i can't snog anyone <laughs> it was basically what you said and mary was like hi on a second i was like that's outrageous stop stop right there yeah, I basically, like, couldn't think of a reason to, like, make myself look nice and especially look femme. I think that part of me felt like there was no point, like, within um, within a monogamous relationship, I was like, who am I trying to impress? Which is also, like, stupid because, obviously, I <laughs> like my partner is still really important to me, but I know that I don't need to wear makeup in order to impress him. But, like, that was behind the sentiment of, like, why would I bother wearing makeup? But I'd already, I'd always said in the past, like, I'm doing it for me. I think, is there a case, definitely what I heard when you said that, right, was almost like a fear of your own sexuality that would be, like, coyly unlocked by makeup and femme dressing because mm. you went to the fringe afraid of it being a promiscuous place for you in the past yes and you were yes this is so entering related. in yeah. a monogamous relationship and you yeah. were like there's almost like to an extent in which you can't you weren't even allowing yourself to open the door yes to sexually charged connection because yes, it's not true to say that i hadn't been wearing makeup like all year because i had gradually been coming towards it and i felt myself like stalling because i was scared of the version of me it would open up that's true because of being in a place where I like, I love flirting with people. And I thought for some reason I made the connection of like, well, then you, you have to, you have to be a good, so I say, a good Christian woman, (laughs) (laughs) good monogamous partner. And like, you know, keep like, check yourself. Don't get all like frisky just because you're in Edinburgh. I want to, before we like go too far away from this, there's like still a part of this conversation that I feel is like actually the juiciest, which we haven't really touched on, which is like, your sexuality being attached to femme femme presentation can you can you explain what you mean by that i think in the statement there's so much sort of like warped logic embedded into the statement that like i can't wear makeup because there's no point for me yeah and and one of that one of those twists is like my sexual self will be unlocked by wearing more femme stuff. And that's the thing that I need to be afraid of. Because it's like... That the... That's almost like in your head, the more 
dangerous in this case aspect of your sexuality um the hornier side of you is in some is in some way going to be unlocked by like eyeliner Mm -hmm. and like more boobs out and so that's what i'm interested in because it's not attached to um like how to what extent that's what i mean right because you could be because you could be flirting with people without those things there's no reason to say that like feminists is, yeah, but is that's more about, sexual uh, this is like about body image this is this goes back to like a, a like an illogical but like deeply held belief that's difficult to undo which is i look much better when i'm wearing makeup who could ever be attracted to me without it that's what's happening there oh shit yeah so in order to flirt i have to put on the face right that's what's happening what did you what did you think was happening i was like wondering if there was a um i didn't know what was happening but i just noticed that like you're not assuming that like dressing more mask would be a dangerous in a flirty way like that's not the fear or the danger yeah um yeah because i don't feel as sexy in mask clothes right yeah 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 which is which is what I've realised gradually. Mm. Yeah, my my sexual self uh, resides in in my my blue Nike princess dress, mm-hmm. where I feel like I can control the world. Nice segue, yeah. yeah. Nice um, callback, callback. Yeah, and I think it's taken me a while to realise that that because I wanted to move away from it for so long because you grow up thinking, you grow up being told that that's where your sexuality is from like as an afab yeah as an afab person wearing dresses and like not necessarily pink but pink and then like you do have to actively move away from it Mm. in order to realize like oh no wait i actually do like doing that for myself Mm -hmm. and i like the way it makes me feel i also think i was trying to prove my queerness by going through like a gender journey you know Mm -hmm. so like you have to go through and interrogate it and the truth is i don't always feel like a woman and the demigender thing is like really interesting to me because meeting Kate, for example, who had like brightly coloured hair and was wearing really cool makeup, I was like, oh, you can be that. And going to like Trans Pride and seeing like femme thems was really helpful because I thought, oh, I can't be, I can't be like exploring my gender and want to wear like makeup and skirts. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There was something really empowering about going there with a sign that, that said fat femme them. Because mm. I was like, I think before when I was moving away from makeup and like wearing neutral stuff, I was like trying to prove something about my queerness. And mm-hmm. actually I didn't, I didn't have to do that at all. Yeah, in doing so you're actually like locking off a really important part of yourself. And so to an extent there's like repre- repressing your femme is repressing your sexuality as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the core thing behind that statement you said in the bus yeah it's like i'm trying to be a good monogamous partner and i'm also trying to be a good little queer person yeah and none of that resides in being femme yeah or i thought oh that's what i thought yeah okay now you (laughs) now me (laughs) what have you learned oh man I can't remember the last time we did check-in, so obviously i use they them i can't remember if i've said that before i think we have mentioned that um so you fully you identify as a non-binary person non-binary person and then the sort of like trans floats around with a big question mark because it feels so loaded so actually this is a this is a genuine question for me if you're non-binary are you not necessarily trans non-binary i think you are oh right okay but like whether or not i would identify as trans non-binary yeah the word trans would make me feel um gives me imposter syndrome right i think because of like struggle the degrees to which i've struggled or whatever yeah there's a sort of there's a sort of um logic in there to call it back you don't have slurs shouted i don't have slurs shouted at me in fact yeah this is what i was thinking about like i've probably never looked gayer than i do at the moment i agree and or dressed gayer at the fringe and I i only experienced like apart from some like creepy comments from people seeing me like snogging another non-binary afab person um i was just generally getting compliments for my hair (laughs) (laughs) you had a really affirming time that was the main thing that happened 
so that's so, like so I think that's one of the things that makes me hesitate to use the word trans because I think it's like so associated at the moment with this very important political struggle and I am not at the forefront of that as an experiencer of that struggle I'm like feel more like an ally that's really interesting but I also identify as non-binary but I don't feel like I'm there at the front lines in the way that packs because the be. struggle is different it's very different yeah yeah, when you're a visibly trans person. My life does not feel under threat and it has never felt that yeah. because of transphobia. Yeah. I feel like misogyny, I experience misogyny all the time or like um, like lesbian fetish. Uh-huh. I think I experienced that, this fringe. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, no, not transphobia. And what did the fringe teach you about your relationship? It's so interesting, right? Basically, I ended the fringe being like, am I... I use the word gay in the loosest, most politically progressive way. But am I just gay apart from my partner? Like, that's alarming. I was like, is that going to... Where's that going to go? Like, you know, sexuality moves all the time. Yeah. And I was, like, suddenly, like, sort of seeing 10 years into the future being like, will that move so far away from wanting sex with men or AMA people that I, like, won't be able to be with my person. Yeah. Scary. Um, Which is scary. Yeah. But also very um, amato-normative. And and luckily, thanks to that amazing episode we had on asexuality and demisexuality, I now think about that relationship in a very different way. So Mm. I'm like, I definitely want to be with my person forever. Is there a chance that we go through periods of time where we're not having sex? I would say yes, definitely. Almost all long-term mm-hmm. partners do. I would like to do it in a conscientious way and be like yeah. aware of when that's happening and be talking about it and acknowledging it rather than pretending it's not happening or that Which that means the relationship is failing. People do, yeah. Because like, I can't promise how I'm going to feel about my gender or sexuality in any length of time. Yeah. It's a shifting thing inside me. Yeah. Um, so there was that and in typical Mary fashion you wasted no time in discussing it yeah yeah which is really impressive I think that's you know it's it's very easy to talk the talk about these things and much harder to walk the walk yeah I had a really beautiful conversation with my partner on returning about those fears and you know Obviously, once we got on those out of the way, we were able to connect in a very intimate, sexy way. So I guess, like, to bring it back to where we started with, like, the Bacchic Rites and Edinburgh mm-hmm. Festival Fringe and our own journeys with gender and sexuality and relationships while we're there is, like, any kind of um, festival or queer party or, like, release or hedonism, like, they offer you... A, an opportunity to take some of that back with you. Yeah. Um, And I think it's weird, this tension that we're talking about of, like, tasting freedom in actually a very capitalist space. Mm -hmm. But, like, you taste it in in this month, or, like, this is how I experience it. I can taste a person, a version of myself that I actually would love to be all the time, Mm -hmm. um, who's more outgoing, has more energy, who puts more energy into what I'm, like, who thinks about more what I'm wearing. This stuff is just, like, more expressive and then recover that part of myself and bring it back into what can be quite a crushing daily routine yeah and like stay true to that part of yourself that freer part of yourself yeah in a context that you know that is that not is that not why people like some like some people love summer so much is because of that yeah because your routines your routines change There's like a sort of like butterfly opening up thing. Your patterns change. Yeah, I mean, for me, that means getting myself to leave the house every day, which is not something I find that easy. And going on dates. And going on dates and like going out dancing. Edinburgh gave that back to me. I haven't done that in ages. And like, I'm going to hold myself to doing that at least like at least once a month. And I think that's like, all this is especially important to remember. And I always think this when I get back from the Edinburgh Festival in September is to take that with us as the months turn, as we go into winter. Mm -hmm. Um, 
to like keep that openness and like it's it becomes even easier to like hibernate basically to get into like a state of hibernation mm-hmm. otherwise and i just want to keep that like the sun like the the bacchanalian sun yeah going in my chest and hedonism being a journey towards connection and transformation rather than towards oblivion yeah there's something about the way that we drink in winter which i sometimes think is about like yeah getting through Mm -hmm. and like there are different ways that like freedom can go this is reaching this is reaching out and about connecting rather than like repressing your feelings and losing yourself in a bottle of wine in fact (laughs) i think i might i think i might just stop drinking for a bit unrelated but well there you go on that full of resolutions it's not very bacchus of you no gotta say well but you not know very god of wine. but maybe the god of wine takes a break from wine sometimes i mean you know? he's got her you know he's got her and when did he die poor guy probably young okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay. thanks for joining us for this very very discursive strange rambling hopefully made sense i can't believe we started with that gilded balloon story but also who cares if it didn't no it's been a pleasure. Listen, we'll talk to you in a month. It's Have a good, good to one. be back. Bye. Bye. Life of Bye was written, edited, and hosted by us, Elle Potter and Mary Higgins. Sound design and production by Tom Foskett Barnes. And a massive thanks to our newest Patreons, Eileen, Ruby, Natalia, Jess, and Emil. Woo! This podcast, as you may know, is supported by Patreon, which means that we don't have to have any adverts and that you lovely listeners are the people that allow this podcast to keep going. It's a gorgeous system which benefits everyone, which means that the people with more money pay to listen to the work that they love, which means that the people with less money can listen to our work for free. If you like our work, both on stage and on podcast, then please consider supporting us. You can find us on patreon.com forward slash life of bye.